Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of his word. So uh, Adam and Eve were chatting after he spent a few nights, uh, you know, away, naming some more animals. Where have you been, Adam? Hope it's not another woman. What are you talking about? You're the only woman here. Later that night, Adam was fast asleep. He was awakened to Eve, poking him in the chest. What are you doing, he asked, counting your ribs. <laughs> no? <laughs> Speaking of marriage, I found, also found this illuminating conversation this week about partnering toward a common goal in marriage, which we're going to talk about later. Uh, we have a picture of it, I think. Wife on the phone. Did you preheat the oven like I asked? Yep. What temperature? 534. That's the clock. 535. (laughs) Speaking of marriage and common goals, it was about 10 years ago. I was a bachelor sitting in a booth at my favorite pizza place, Mary Angela's. How many of you have ever been there? Yeah. All right. Some, Some love for Mary Angela's. Okay right here in Carytown, about a mile that way, yeah. And uh, I was sitting across from my good friend, Sonia. Now, we weren't dating, we weren't on a date, but we were there together getting pizza. Just two friends getting lunch together. In fact, a few years earlier, I had asked her on a date And uh, she established a kind of boundary there that we were just friends. And uh, there was no need for me to try to ask her out again, ever again. You know, I guess she changed her mind on that because uh, she liked it. So she put a ring on it. Yeah. Yeah, I showed you. Pray for me in my car ride back to the house after. Uh, anyways, at the time, we were, we were just good friends, as I said, and it was that genuine uh, fraternal friendship that is actually the foundation of our marriage now, so I'm very thankful for that time. And uh, yeah, glory to God. And so, you know, because we were just friends, I was actually telling her about this other girl that I was thinking about asking out. And I was getting her advice. And uh, the conversation turned to, so what are you looking for in a spouse, right? Sonia, of course, was a planner and is a planner. She was, she was secretly doing research, I think, testing the waters, perhaps, of moving the relationship to a different plane. Uh, and also, she was starting to have some reluctant feelings of attraction to me. I mean, can you blame her, right? I mean, of course, I was oblivious 
to all of that, right? So I was just like, oh, we're having a conversation. What am I looking for in a spouse? Um, so I said, well, in my prayers to God, I asked him for three qualities in my future wife, which I actually derived from this week's Torah portion, if you can believe it. They are in no particular order. Number one, someone that I was attracted to. That's in the Parsha, by the way. <clears throat> Number two, someone with whom I share common values. That is what is important. And number three, someone with whom I share a common vision, right? And vision is kind of a buzzword, but we can think of it as a picture of where you are going, right? That's what a, a good way to describe a vision. That was it. Just those three. Attraction, common values, common vision, picture where we're going to. And, and cooking, that wasn't on my list. That was a bonus, that God gave me a bonus because, uh, yeah, anyway, that's, you're getting me off track, Robert. Stop it. All right. <clears throat> Where was I? Okay. So uh, <laughs> uh, intending it only as, a, as an encouragement and a compliment, I told Sonia I believed she actually checked off the first two qualities. Um, and, uh, you know, I wasn't sure about the third one, the common vision, because we never had talked about it. And uh, I just assumed it was a moot point because, you know, don't ever ask me again. Okay. So in, in return, I asked her about her spousal checklist that she had been praying about, and uh, she listed a couple things. In her head, she was thinking, gosh, you know, a lot of these describe David pretty well. I don't want to, like, lead him on or anything. So she tried to be as, like, vague as possible, you know. Once again, oblivious to all of that. You know, I just took it uh, as, a, you know, She's just telling me, you know, what, what she's thinking about. And at the end, she said, you know, a lot of them kind of describe you pretty well. And I just took it as a personal encouragement, you know. I was like, oh, this is my friend telling me I'm a good guy. I feel affirmed. You know, affirmation's my love language. I was good, right? Eventually, I think we figured out the full consequences of that momentous conversation between two friends. But that's another story. So going back to my list, as I mentioned, this is the heart of this week's Parsha. And it doesn't apply only to people that are married or who are going to be married or, or called to be married. Um, the gems in this Parsha are for all of us, right? Because that's how the Torah works. No matter our stage in life, right? Because it's about common values and common vision. So let's dive into the Torah and mine those gems together get your, your pickaxe, your mining gear ready, and uh, let's look at the beginning of Chaye Sarah, the Parsha name for the life of Sarah. Here we go. Let's read it together. Now, Sarah's life was 127 years, the years of Sarah's life. Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from before his dead one and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am an outsider and sojourner among you. Give me a gravesite among you so I may bury my dead from before my presence. The beginning of the Parsha is the, the, the name of the Parsha is the life of Sarah, but it actually, the, the first event that happens is the death of Sarah, right? 
And I think it's interesting because the Parsha about finding a wife, right, for Isaac, it starts with Abraham losing a wife, right? And I know many of us can empathize with Abraham. A lot of us in this community have gone through the loss of a spouse, perhaps because of death or because of divorce. And so what do we see in Abraham in this case? Well, he's taking care of his wife, um, and he's mourning in a forward direction. That's what I see. He's grieving into the situation. Um, and that's because he has the vision in his mind, right? He has Genesis 12 that we've been talking about for the past two weeks in his mind and in his heart. And he's moving toward the vision, the picture that God promised him. What was that, right? To be a blessing to all the nations, to inherit the land, right? So that the, the children of Abraham, right, would be a blessing in that space to all the nations so that all the nations would come to know God, right? And we saw that in the Sodom and Gomorrah story where Abraham was, was, was intervening for these wicked nations, right? Pleading to God on their behalf because that's his calling. That's his identity. And so he, he's carrying that forward even in his grief. It's really quite, quite remarkable. And so um, he, after this, he's, he's talking to the Hittites, the sons of Heth, um, and uh, they, they want to just give him the land, but he wants to buy it, right? And I think that's significant because it's the first land transaction in the Bible, maybe the first land transaction in history, right? Because <laughs> the Bible's pretty old, right? But it's, it's definitely significant that he wants to buy this land to bury his wife, to take care of his wife, right? And that this is the first fruits of him owning the land that God promised, the land of Canaan, which would become the land of Israel. And uh, if you read in in the book of Acts, where uh, they're telling the gospel story, they, they mention these things, right? They mention the, the, the burial of, of Sarah and the burial of the patriarchs, because that's how they thought about the salvation history of, of the world, through these, these kinds of things. Um, so Abraham is grieving, but he's staying anchored to the vision and the hope of God. And I think this is what keeps him steady, right? It's like we all need, we need anchor points in order to go through difficult times, right? And Abraham definitely has that with the Lord. Abraham also realizes that Sarah's legacy needs to live on, right? So he's, he's looking forward and he's saying, okay, well, we need another, we need another Sarah, essentially, right? And so that's going to be Isaac's future spouse. And as we read in the, in the Parsha, if you notice at the end, of, near the end of this Parsha, it mentions Sarah twice when Isaac and Rebekah finally get together, right? It says that he went into, he took Rebekah into his mother's tent, and he was comforted um, from the loss of his mother. So it mentions Sarah twice, right? And it only mentions Rebekah once, right? It's sort of symbolizing that she's the, the, the continuer of this legacy that Abraham and Sarah have. So in order to do that, he enlists some help uh, to, to continue this legacy. He gets the help of his servant to find a wife for Isaac, okay? So let's pick it up there. Now Abraham was old, advanced in years, and Adonai blessed Abraham in everything. Then Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who managed everything that belonged to him, now put your hand under my thigh, 
so that I may take, make you take an oath by Adonai, the God of heaven, God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from among the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am dwelling. On the contrary, to my land and my relatives you must go and get a wife for my son Isaac. But the servant said to him, suppose the woman was unwilling to follow after me to this land. Should I then have your son go back to the land you came from? Abraham said to him, see to it that you don't return my son there. Adonai, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from my native land, and who spoke to me and made a pledge to me, saying, to your seed I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife for my son from there. If the woman is not willing to follow after you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Nevertheless, you must not return my son there. Do we see what's going on here? It's very interesting. The remarkable thing is that, remember, Sarah has just died, right? And so he's just, he's buried her, and now he's turning to this servant to take care of his son and his future daughter-in-law. And he gives the servant not three conditions like I had, but one condition. There's only one condition, right, for the wife of Isaac, and that is that she be from the land of his relatives, and therefore that she would be willing to go from there to the land of promise, to the land that would become Israel, right? So if she doesn't want to leave there, don't leave, uh, if she, don't leave Isaac there, right? It has to be her will, and she has to be from there, and she has to go to the land of Canaan, okay? So this is, uh, I think of it as like two realms, right? The place where Abraham is from, right? And the place where Abraham is called to be, the vision, right? So you have the values, the first area, the, where he's from, which is Haran, the land of his relatives, and then the, the vision, which is the second realm. That would become the land of Israel, uh, which he got from God. A Canaanite wife for Isaac, if he got a wife from around where he was now, she would do what? She would worship other gods, Canaanite gods, and then she would have different values, right? So she would also be going in, in a different direction, right? Because she wouldn't be familiar with the picture that God gave to Abraham to, to move toward the land, to inhabit the land, to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth, right? So if you are married or you're looking to get married, these are, this is what should be going on, right? This is what we should be looking for in our spouse. If we have a spouse, this is what we should be working on, right? Common values, common vision. And uh, we work on it by talking about it, processing it with our spouse, and we work on it also through prayer, right? We seek the Lord together. Um, the wife for Isaac had to have common values and a common vision, and in some ways fulfill the matriarch role of Sarah, right? Being Sarah 2.0, completing or furthering her legacy. So what was, you know, Sarah's legacy? Well, one thing that we know is that uh, she had a royal identity, right? The name Sarah in Hebrew means princess. And uh, we say, some of you might be familiar with the phrase Sar Shalom. If I said that, what, who is that? That's the Prince of Peace, right? Raise your hand if you've heard Sar Shalom, Prince of Peace, right? So Sar is Prince. So make that add a hey to it, that would be Sarah. That would be princess, right? Yeah, okay. So 
you know, Yeshua is the Prince of Peace, so it's, it's like a royal title, Sarah, okay? And, uh, you know, she, her name was originally Sarai, and she is the only woman in the Bible to have her name changed by God. The only woman in the Bible to have her name changed by God. I think that's, that's remarkable, right? So God is affirming you are, a royal, you are royalty, you are a princess, okay? And this highlights her importance, the importance of her God-given identity. As befits their name, calling, and identity, Sarah and Abraham were a kind of royal priesthood couple, right? That's what, in fact, that's what Adam and Eve were supposed to be, right? That's, that's what all of us are supposed to be. We're supposed to be a royal priesthood, right? And we're supposed to rule as princes and princesses with wisdom and kindness over our realm, over our dominion, right? And for Adam and Eve, that was, you know, the whole earth. For me, that's, uh, you know, our, our little condo or our family or whatever, right? But whatever it is, that's God has made me to be a prince and, uh, and a priest in some way, and, and, and as with all of us, right? And so these were the common values and character and calling that Abraham made sure to look for in, in Sarah's successor, which would be Isaac's wife. Does that make sense? Following along so far? If you're confused, uh, send me an email uh, tomorrow. Okay, but we're going to keep going. So Abraham's servant really partners with, uh, with Abraham in a unique way. This is, this is really cool. Um, all, remember, all he's given is this general instruction, right? She just has to be from this place. If she doesn't want to leave, don't, don't leave Isaac there, right? That's it. <laughs> That's all he knows. Nothing about her, her uh, character or how he's going to find this woman or anything. So the servant innovates. He's an innovator, right? And he's a man of prayer. So this is what he says. He prays, Adonai, the God of Abraham, my master, please make something happen before me today and show loyalty to Abraham, my master. Look, I'm standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are going out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please tip your jar so that I may drink, and she will say, drink, and also water your camels. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant, Isaac. So by this I'll know that you have shown graciousness to my master. Abraham didn't say anything about that, right? Right? That was just his own innovation, his own prayer, his own relationship with God. And then, of course, the servant sees Rebekah who does exactly this, right? This is exactly what happens. She pours water for him and for all the camels. She shows immense compassion, immense kindness toward the stranger. She doesn't know this servant, right? She's clearly echoing the legacy of Sarah here. And then she's also bringing it forward by her character, her values. So as for the servant, he's taking initiative. He's moving toward the vision. Uh, with this original prayer, which Abraham never mentions. All of these individuals are partnering. Have you ever noticed that? They're all partnering with someone. The servant is partnering with Abraham. The servant is partnering with Rebecca and her family. Rebecca will partner with Isaac, and all of them are partnering with Hashem, right? It's really beautiful. And what are they partnering to do? To move the vision forward, to walk toward the vision of blessing others in the promised land. Some of the sages believe that this servant is Eliezer, 
who is mentioned as Abraham's servant earlier in the text. Uh, And also, they notice that the servant in this particular dramatic episode is never mentioned by name. Have you ever noticed that? It just says, the servant, right? It's like the most important servant in in the book of Genesis, right? (laughs) It doesn't even get a name, right? So what's going on here? Uh, My colleague, uh, Dave Nickel, gave an excellent drosh on this week's Parsha, and he says, this is what he says about the servant, quote, Eliezer certainly does not know how making one match will result in the redemption of the world. He only sees what's in front of him. He has a simple job, and he wants to accomplish it with zerizut, alacrity, enthusiasm, and anava, humility. He loves his master and takes joy in executing his task. Perhaps this is why, instead of being named, he is referred to throughout the entire story as Ha-Eved, the servant. His faithful service reminds us of Yeshua, who initiated his students into this mission by taking on the role and dress of a servant, unquote. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. So the Midrash says of the servant that he, he actually had his own daughter, uh, who he was actually hoping at some point to unite with Isaac, right? If this all didn't work out, you know, he has his own family, his own life going on. Um, and so, uh, however, his, his, he has a strong, loyal love for Abraham, so he is serving the greater good, the greater purpose, right? The servant's name, his desires, his family, these are not mentioned in the text. And, uh, but what we do see is his trust in God and his faithfulness to Abraham. And so may it be so with us. Amen. And, we, and as I mentioned, we notice that marriage is not the only partnership here, right? The opportunity for common values and common vision, it goes beyond that. We see the servant and Abraham partnering, for example. And remarkably, we see Abraham partnering with uh, the legacy and memory of Sarah, right? Isn't that beautiful? Like after she's gone, he's still continuing to partner with her legacy, in a sense, to continue the vision of blessing others. Many of you know that our vision for this year at Tikvat Israel is relational shalom, right? Building on relational gospeling. We want to come together to encourage one another, to build relationship, to invite others, connect with the Jewish community, our own community, connect with uh, the wider community of the church of the city, connect with the hurting and broken, and to show the love of God. That's what we're about right? Yeah. That is the vision this year, and it fits the overall vision of where we're going, right? To bridge and restore relationship between Yeshua, the Jewish people, and the nations. And it's based on our foundational core of values, which spell out hope, help, outreach, purpose, and education. And it's solidified in our identity as a congregation for Yeshua within the Richmond Jewish community, as awkward as that is sometimes, but that's who we are. That's how God made us to be, right? And uh, it's uh, solidified in that, and these are pictures, right, future pictures that unite us in our diversity, because we're not all the same, right? So the question is, who are you called to partner with, right? Who are you called to partner with? If you're married, the first answer would be, your husband or your wife, right? But it's not the only answer. You're not off the hook there, right? And uh, if, you're, if you're not married, the question is still on the table, right? In fact, if you're not married, 
you're still married. What? You still have a building partner, right? I have a building partner in Sonia, but I have another one, right? I'm not talking about another woman like, you know, the, the first story, right? What am I talking about? Hosea puts it like this. In that day, it is a declaration of Adonai, you will proclaim my husband and never call me again my Baal. Baal was the name of another, another god. Then I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me with righteousness, justice, covenant, loyalty, and compassion. I will betroth you to me with faithfulness. And you will know Adonai, right? And we know about the word know, right? <laughs> that implies intimacy, okay? So who else are our building partners? We have our spouse, we have the Lord, right? I want, us to, uh, I want to encourage us all to think about this, pray about this, right? And also, how are we working toward this common vision in our synagogue, right? How are we working toward a common vision and values in our, in our families, in our homes, right? In our relationships and friendships, right? This is our, our verse of the year, 1 Thessalonians 5, 10 through 11. He died for us so that whether we may be awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as you, in fact, are doing. Let me say that again. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as you, in fact, are doing. Yeah. What I love about this verse so much, it describes Tikvat Israel so well. Recently, I got lunch with Reverend Dan Murata, who is the pastor of Redeemer Anglican Church. If you don't know who he is or who that church is, just come back here tomorrow and you'll find out. <laughs> There's an Anglican church that meets right here uh, uh, on Sundays, and they support us financially. They help us to steward this beautiful um, synagogue building. And so when I was sitting down with uh, Reverend Dan, he remarked this to me, you know, Tikvat Israel is highly relational in everything you do. And honestly, I hadn't really thought about it that way, right? It's, sometimes it takes someone outside of your community to really notice um, and really affirm what you're doing. Um, and, uh, you know, not every community is that way. I think every community uh, of faith has uh, strengths, right? Things that they're good at, right? And I just think this is our, this is our strength, right? This is how God made us to be. And, uh, and I realized that God that he, he put these themes on my heart the past two years for a reason, and they all had the word relational in them, and I don't think that's an accident, right? Because that's our strength. It's almost as if the Apostle Paul is, is reaching through the Bible to encourage us right here. Encourage one another and build each other up just as you, in fact, are doing. Baruch Hashem. The servant of Abraham fully committed fully committed to the common values and common vision. And it changed the course of salvation history. It brought forth the Jewish people through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If he didn't do that, it wouldn't have happened. And then it brought, through, it brought forth the Messiah from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who is over all. The son of Abraham, the son of David, the Son of God, Yeshua the Messiah, also 
as a servant fully committed to a future vision of restored relationships. How did he do that? He emptied his life. He poured it out on the tree for us, and it changed the course of salvation history. And now, it's our turn. Let's pray. Avinu, we thank you for these beautiful lessons in, in history. For those of us that are married or looking to be married, we ask that you help us to partner with our spouse. Um, for those of us in, in, in other areas of, of our journey with you, Lord, help us to partner with you. Uh, help all of us to partner with you, Lord, um, and help all of us to partner with um, those that you've called us to build your kingdom um, and to, uh, to submit our will to you, Lord, um, to, to be uh, um, people of, of common values and common vision that we can be a blessing to uh, the Jewish people in this area, uh, to the nations in this area, to the hurting and the broken in this area, Lord, to all those that you've called us to be a blessing to, we ask for your help. Help us to partner with you and help us to partner with each other for uh, our good and your glory. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.